Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everybody, to episode five of the Strictly NFL podcast, hosted by the Strictly Podcast Network. I'm Khan. You guys know me and Jeff. Every week, we're over here. This week, to help us preview not only the Jets and Giants, uh, sorry, Jets and Seahawks, we also have him here to preview a little bit of the Jets and Chiefs and some other stuff going around the league. My good friend now for a couple of years, Mr. Matt9 at M99 on Twitter. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing okay. I'm a little worried about our game on Monday. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, so just before we hop into all the other stuff, I do want to get a reminder to everybody that the Strickland has an Instagram at the Strick.land. They have a YouTube at the Strickland. They also have a $6 Patreon tier, which gives you access to the Strickland Roll of Schwinn. And they have a $9 tier, which gives you access to the full podcast of this recording. Um, in addition to our podcast being sponsored by Bet Online Sportsbook, Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs, where you get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and much more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place all of your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available right from your phone. So you head to the website or you can just use your phone, sign up today, and get in on the action. Remember, if you use the promo code BELIEVE, Capital B L E A V, you get fifty percent off on your welcome bonus, a match of your first deposit. So bet online where the game starts. Any lines we reference in this podcast are from Bet Online. So, getting into the first topic of the day, we're going to talk a little bit about the Giants Liners game. Very ugly game. I don't know if you guys saw the tweet that I put up from the strictly uh, NFL account pod. But I said, with Brandon Ayuk out, the Giants may cover. They still didn't cover. Ugly game. You know, it wasn't great. The line didn't really hold up well. But I, I want to say there's still positives to take away. Uh, I'll let you guys get some thoughts in before I kind of, you know, go on my little rant with the Giants. Uh, whoever, Matt, Jeff. Sorry. Yeah, I'm going to let Matt lead it off. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't watch a lot of Giants football unless I'm specifically reviewing film for somebody. Uh, but I, I take away from I think from the 49ers perspective is that if there was a really good quote this morning that I saw from Good Football, I believe is a show. I forget her name, but she said that the Eagles are playing games and they're winning them, but the 49ers are playing games and they're just beating people. I mean, yeah. the 49ers right now are far and away the best team in the league. I mean, they picked up last year right where they left off, and they're rolling through people. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily an indictment on the Giants to be like, oh, your squad's bad. I just think, you know, anybody who plays the 49ers is coming, you know, up against a different animal. Yeah, I think that's a great take. The 49ers is – I mean, they crushed Pittsburgh in week one. Um, They're just – like Matt said, they're just rolling through everybody. Um, 
I have a bit of a, a Giants hot take, and I'm curious what you think, Con. Is Daniel Jones the Giants' R.J. Barrett? The more I see him discussed, like oh, on Twitter, yes. I don't. Well, I don't mean that in, in even a negative way. I mean it from both sides uh-huh. because if you follow any R.J. Barrett discourse on Twitter, there are either the people who defend him, oh no, or okay. what, and now I got gotcha. Nothing is R.J.'s fault ever. Like, and he's just, you know, he's obviously already good. And then he has his detractors who nothing he does is right and he's terrible and he'll never be good. And I see the way Daniel Jones is discussed by Giants fan fans, and it's so incredibly volatile to me. I don't get it because he's such an average quarterback right now. Like, the, I'm, I'm not saying he can't be better or maybe he's not worse, but right now he's behind a pretty trashy offensive line, especially without Andrew Thomas. Um, when you play a team like the 49ers, like Matt was just alluding to, there's really not too much he can control. And yet I hop on Twitter and it's either, oh, none of this is his fault. None of these throws matter because what is he supposed to do? His <laughs> offensive line, 60% pressure rate, yada, yada. And then there are the other people who are just like, he sucks. He's never going to be good. We should trade him. This is a waste of time. And it's like, what are we ta- What are we even talking about here? Like, there's just no nuance to it at all. Yeah. I, I see a lot of that, man. Like, when he missed that throw to Waller, uh, on the, the early third down right before halftime, which could have got them into field goal range maybe more if, if the throw was really clean. I went on Twitter after that, and people were like, Waller got both hands on the ball. you got to catch that. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, I know you guys are not about to make me one of DJ's biggest, biggest fans come on here and be like, shut up. Like, it's it's – I don't want to say annoying because – at the end of the day, like we all root for our teams and you know, whichever way we choose. But to see people just do one eighties on players who they were really hyping up in preseason and training camp, it's like Daniel Jones is not the only player being negatively affected by the line, right? Like if you're Darren Waller, you don't know how the timing's gonna be affected on your route because of you know, whether DJ has to scramble. You probably have that in the back of your mind. Like, if he's scrambling, I probably have to start getting into my scramble drill stuff, you know, trying to follow him when he comes out of the pocket. So, this is not like a a thing where it's like bad line affects Daniel Jones, stops. Like, this affects everybody. This affects everybody from DJ to Waller to Paris Campbell to the play caller to the running back coach. Like, it, it affects everybody. So, people need to stop with you know, just giving DJ pass after pass. There's stuff that you can look at, especially from Talking Giants. Great job over there with the film that Bobby Skinner does. DJ turned down numerous throws to Hyatt this week where they would have been 30, 40, potentially 50-yard gains. And again, probably an online issue because he can't anticipate, he can't stay in the pocket and just say, okay, it's going to get open right here. But like, man, we paid you $40 million a season. And I, I hate using that, but when you just throw every excuse that Daniel Jones can possibly have, I just really don't like hearing it, man, because you can make any excuse for any player on this roster. Going back to that one particular play, now, keep in mind, I am not involved in the New York media. So this is from, like I said, told you guys before the show, I live in Alabama. So this is like an outsider's perspective, you know, not a New York market, you know, take or whatever, but. 
da- uh, Darren Waller's six six, and he did get both hands on the ball. But if he's having to struggle to even get two hands on the ball, that's, that's it's a bad throw. And it really wasn't even a contested catch situation. It was a crossing route from the right side coming all the way to the left side. Uh, he had safety was like two yards uh, literally behind him, not trailing, but behind his back. So yeah, you, you should have caught that. That showed that throw should have been much easier than what it than what it ended up being. To bring it back to the film, I'm curious what both of you thought of the offensive line because I feel like both teams we've talked about like I, I we we've talked about specific players on the offensive line Evan Neal and Mackay Becton and while the Giants line as a whole obviously struggled I actually didn't think Neal was the biggest culprit like he was in previous weeks so I, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought of him specifically uh, as we talk about the line yeah I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet with Neal uh, I think it was one of his better games against those high-level pass rushers, right? Like, Bosa got home. It wasn't on a play where he even had anything to do with Neal. It was on that play where Bellinger kind of got put in a really tough spot by Dayball. And kind of – it was the play at the edge of the line. I can't even properly describe it because it was a mess. But Bosa got home on that play, the one where he was sacked around the one-yard line. And Evan Neal really didn't stand out to me, which is a good thing because usually he stands out for all the wrong reasons. Um, it was even reflected in the PFF grades, right? Like, I think he graded out around like a 48, 49, which I can't believe I'm praising a 48, 49, but it was one of his better performances, like I said, against uh, an upper echelon pass rusher. And that's all I'm going to take away from it. Like you showed me that you didn't get absolutely cooked. And like, that's the, that's the best thing that I can say about it. To, to be specific for you, his run block grade is a 58-4 on the season and pass blocking is 36-9 on the season. It's good for 202. Out of how many qualify? Uh, what do you want it out of? We'll say 20%. Okay. I'm just kidding. Nobody's played 20% yet. <laughs> oh, good. But can is uh can you find the individual uh numbers for him for this game? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, San Francisco is a thirty six and a half for run block and forty eight two pass block. Okay. Yeah, so I I also saw that if you added up every pass block uh, grade from left tackle to right guard, Evan Neal was like still double their combined grade, which means everybody else as That's a whole good. scored like less than a 24. So really not good. Um, like, like you said, I I know you said it was only a Neil question, Jeff, but I do want to talk about McKeithen a little, if that's okay. So Brian Dable came out today and announced if Andrew Thomas is healthy, the line is going to be Andrew Thomas, Ben Bredesen, John Michael Schmitz, Marcus McKeithen at right guard. And then Evan Neal, obviously, at right tackle. Marcus McKeithen, while he did fine, air quotes around fine in the run game, he's he has the same problems Evan Neal has at right tackle, but he just has them at guard. He's really slow out of his stance, which is something that I hope was just from not getting reps for the past year because he had a torn ACL. But I, I didn't like really what I saw considering the fact that he had gotten game game reps the week before against the Cardinals. And 
I'm, I'm not a fan of leaving him in there. I think Azudu, the job he did at left tackle was more than enough to earn him a start at right guard when Andrew Thomas comes back. Um, yeah, I mean, you are very much the expert here, so I'm just going to, you know, uh, when it, when it comes to this specific area, um, so all I can say is, you know, I, I trust your read, rewatching the film and, you know, just watching and rewatching that 49ers game in general. Um, it definitely, you definitely didn't get the sense that like, oh yeah, this is something you want to run back, you know? And if what you're saying about his weaknesses at right guard are true and how they correlate with Evan Neal's weaknesses, that seems like it's going to be a pretty exploitable part of the line for defenses to kind of attack, which you don't really want, you know, entire sides of line to share weaknesses. Yeah, the saving grace for both of them is that, like, they're both pretty massive human beings, right? Like, they'll be fine in their run game. But it's just discouraging, man. We can't, like, we talked last week with Schwinn about how a lot of these concept that, concepts that we ran against Arizona, you want to see them prove themselves time and time again against maybe not a Niners defense, but a Seahawks defense. Next coming weeks, we have the Dolphins and the Bills. So you want to see them be able to execute against those guys. And once you get to the Dolphins and, and the Bills, you know, you have Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb coming against you. you got Gregory Rousseau, uh, potentially Von Miller is going to be back on top of Leonard Floyd and all these other guys. So the speed disadvantage that is going to be playing at that right side is not something that you can be comfortable with, man, especially with all of the kind of rollout bootlegs that we want to be doing. I mean, I'd like to be doing also some QB option, maybe QB power, different type of things like that. And I don't, I just don't think that's stuff that could be executed with that right side of the line. What Matt said about the San Francisco game is kind of, first of all, it's spot on, but it also makes you want to immediately look forward to the Seahawks game because at a certain point, it's like the Giants were without one of the, their best skill player and they're, you know, one of their three most important players on their offense and Andrew Thomas, how could anybody expect them on a short week to go in and compete against San Francisco? But at the end of the day, that game happened. They're one and two and their next three games are against Seattle, Buffalo and Miami. Right. Is that yeah. so, like, let's be frank here. This next Monday night game could be the difference between three and three and one and five, you know, to start the season. Um, again, we said this before week two, it almost feels like a must win game. This is an incredibly important game. How do you guys feel like they match up against the Seahawks? Um, I'll let Matt take this one just because I got some updates about the Giants too that I want to share before I dive into it. Well, as a Seahawks fan, this is a game that we should win. I feel like on paper, the way the teams have played through the first three weeks, like this is a game that would make sense for Seattle to win. But if you followed any Seahawks football since Pete Carroll got there, these are never the games that we win. We, don't win. <laughs> we do not win the games that make that we should win. We just win the games that we shouldn't win. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, man, what were we? We were like 9-0. and I think it was in 2020, like 8-0, and something like that. And you guys showed up in Seattle with Colt McCoy and just this oh yeah, this ridiculous like starting skill group of nobodies. 
and ended up winning in a game that Russell Wilson just – I think I think the Giants were the team that, that broke Seattle. They, they finally took away the deep ball that season, and he had no answers and got sacked like six or seven times in that game. Oh, it was just a disaster. <laughs> and then last year, Seattle handled the Giants pretty well. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, Seattle's biggest weakness is the same thing as it was last year. It's over the middle. Linebackers can't cover anybody. So Darren Waller running, you know, crossers, Barkley screens, you know, uh, through through line or whatever. It's it's going to be assuming he plays. Uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. I could definitely see it being really high scoring, and I could see it getting away from the Giants potentially if Seattle plays their best ball. I really don't see a scenario where the Giants blow out Seattle, um, but I could. Like I said, I think either Seattle's going to handle their business or it'll be a really close game down to the wire where uh, either team can win it. But Seattle's, Seattle's got a group of pass rushers now. In, uh, in Shinna Nuosu, you got Mafe, Daryl Taylor, uh, Taylor, Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed. Like, we got a bunch of guys that can really get after um, the quarterback. We got after, I think we had seven sacks on Andy Dalton last week. Yeah, I mean, the Lions win was super impressive. Like, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, well, they came off. They just beat the Panthers. Big deal. But beating Detroit in Detroit is an, is an extremely impressive win. Like, Detroit could just easily be 3-0. Um, I think Seattle's tough. And um, I, think, I think on offense especially, they're going to give the Giants problems uh, unless the Giants front four – can step it up in a way they really haven't so far this season. What about you, Con? Yeah, this kind of goes back to what we said the first couple episodes, right, where the Giants are probably one of the most, uh, you know, like maybe top three game script-dependent teams. It's going to be the same case this week. If the Seahawks get ahead, like Matt said, Chenna Nuosu, especially uh, Jaron or Jaron? How do I say that? Jaron. Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed. Jaron uh, Reed and Draymond Jones, I think, are two of the most underrated pass rushing beat tackles in football. They're to me, they're they're like a baby Dex Lawrence and Leo Williams. That like they're they're that echelon of guys, and it's scary, man. Because like we talked about, Dolphins following this game, Bills following that one. You're staring one and five in the face like a shotgun, just like we said. You're staring on three in the face if you lose the Cardinals. Now you're staring one and five in the face. So. The game script scares the shit out of me. But I will say if we get up, I think we have a, as good a chance as, as, as the Seahawks do if this becomes a shootout. Like you said that the Seahawks linebackers don't really cover over the middle. We have the same problem. It's funny. You guys got Julian Love now, who I was telling Jeff about this weekend. I don't I know why you guys don't like him. He's fun to watch. He turned us. He, he laid the hammer last week a few times. Like he lays people out. That's one thing I'll give him. Like especially so he came into the league right as a as a boundary slot guy. For that archetype of player, he's not afraid to tackle, which is something we're really missing this year. Like everybody is just putting their you know their arm at an ankle and trying to make a tackle that way. Like it, it's not happening, guys. Stop just going for fucking arm tackles. But. Yeah, he, he is a physical player. The only thing is he makes dumb plays when he's trying to go for the ball. That's that's what really irked me when he was gotcha. here. See, he, they, he's not playing safety for Seattle. They pulled him down into this nickelback linebacker yeah. hybrid role. Like He's just like um, stepping in for 
Jamal Adams, who, by the way, yeah. will be active and starting next week or this weekend. Um, he's kind of been doing what he does, you know, about the old Cam Chancellor role, if you will, kind of down yeah. by the line of scrimmage, you know, run blitzing here and so on and so forth. But, yeah, no, he, he hits. Matt, speaking of Cam Chancellor, just a little off topic here. I was at one of those games that the Seahawks won that I wish they didn't win, and that was the 2013 Super Bowl. When oh, that, was, they, that was a fantastic <laughs> game. That was not a fantastic <laughs> game, but I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you you enjoyed it. <laughs> Being there in a Champ Bailey jersey was not enjoyable for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that, that game was over real quick. What's funny, yeah. I mean, we don't have to talk about it for more than 30 seconds, but what's funny about that <laughs> from, from a Broncos perspective is literally it was like the fir- the worst possible first quarter, but it went like safety, long Seahawks drive, field goal, three and out, long Seahawks drive, field goal. So like there was like 14 minutes of Seahawks domination and it was eight nothing Seahawks. And me and my friend were just like, dude, it's a one score game. Like we're fine. This couldn't have gone any worse. And then... Boy, it got worse. <laughs> I just <don't... laughs> that that might have been like. I, it, I think it was probably the Malcolm Smith pick six that that really flipped the momentum. Like if there was, if it was, you know, neck and neck up to that point, that that was the play that really just turned it all upside down. I was still young when the Super Bowl was happening, right? I, you Are said you it was playing. You're not young now. I mean, I, I am, but. He's just older. I was I was even younger <laughs> back then. So that was like the biggest letdown of my life at the time. I was like Peyton Manning, Seahawks. I'm gonna be in for a great game and then I'm gonna go to bed, you know, no bills, nothing. It's gonna be great. And the game sucked. And yeah, yeah. I, I was I was rooting for Seattle in the NFC championship game because I convinced myself that San Francisco's front four was the only thing that could stop Peyton at the time. Like if, cause you know, everybody knew that if you could get pressure on Peyton Manning without having to bring blitzes, that was the way to stop him. Because if you brought blitzes, he was just going to read the blitzes and figure out how to beat them. That's what Peyton Manning did. But I didn't realize that the back four of Seattle was basically the same thing as an elite front four <laughs> and that they could just basically yeah. guard them by themselves and, and, take away all of the crossers and everything, and it was just, oh, my God. All right, let's go talking about something like well, this. I, I'll tell you what, Seattle's back four right now is as close as it's been to that four since then with Woolen and Witherspoon and then Quandre Diggs and a healthy Jamal Adams. That that, that spot has been, has been in flux. I still don't agree with that trade. He's but, back next week, right? Yep. Yeah, he'll be in the lineup. But I, I think from a Seahawks perspective, just one, one last thing on the topic is that even though we won the Super Bowl that, that year and we lost the following year to the Patriots on that horrible play, like the two games that I actually remember most between those two years were both NFC championships. Was the Richard Sherman tip pass to end it against San Francisco and then the following year in overtime where we were down like 18 with four minutes left to go against Green Bay with yeah. the Jermaine Curse walk-off touchdown. Like, oh, yeah. Those two particular plays, like, hold more, like, in the Seahawks Hall of Fame, you know, memoir glory than I think many of the Super Bowl plays do. This is relevant because we're going to talk about bad coaching later. That NFC Championship game by Mike McCarthy is the worst coaching performance in the history of the NFL, and you cannot convince me otherwise. They kicked two field goals from the one-yard line with Aaron Rodgers, 
and then another 21-yard field goal on fourth and one. They It was the same thing as what I just talked about in the Broncos-Seahawks Super Bowl. They were up 9 nothing, and the Packers were dominating that game. And then... Well, the, the, the very first drive, Richard Sherman picked off Aaron Rodgers in the end zone. And then after that, I was like, oh, yeah, we're a Seahawks game. But then, as you said, <laughs> at, at, literally after that first defensive drive, there was no way we should have won that game. I've, I've never seen us get outplayed probably as poorly as we were in that game. It was so bad. The Packers should have won that game. Can yeah. you imagine fourth and one twice in today's NFL? Like, the players would probably have a rebellion on the field if their coach said field goal both times. Yeah. Yeah, Crazy, in a, in a regular or, or season game, maybe not. But at that no, sta- but at that, but at that stage in yeah. that venue, like, it, yeah, I'm I'm with the players every time. You got to close the first one. I'll get like let's play it safe. Let's take our three. But if you get there a second time, we're ending it right here, right now. Yeah, and even people, what people don't remember is that the Packers got two different stops in the fourth quarter. Two different stops in the oh, fourth yeah. quarter. Seattle had to recover an onside just to get back. Right. They they Seattle was punting down like fifteen with like six minutes left or something. Classic. People. And then McCarthy <laughs> didn't run clock at all. And then yeah, they still had to get an onside kick. It was look. I mean, I'm a bit of a Rogers truther when it comes to his talent and that game. After witnessing Peyton get destroyed by the Seahawks, that was just oh my god. That was. Yeah. That was unfortunate again. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.